Last week was Palm Sunday. I brought a message titled Details on the Death of Christ from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if you'd make your way there, answering the question, what is the gospel or what's the good news? Dealt with the first point last week and a little bit of the second point, that is the crucifixion of Christ and the burial. Today, finishing up that two-part focus, that gospel focus, directing our attention this morning to the glory of the resurrection of Christ. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the glory of the resurrection of Christ. You've already heard some of these verses alluded to and sung, but let's read it. In 1 Corinthians 15, beginning in verse 1, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also you have received, and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you keep in memory what I have preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. He told a local church and the members thereof that it very well could be some of you have believed in vain. That is, it wasn't genuine. It wasn't heartfelt belief. Maybe uh, you, uh, you raised your hand, you walked the aisle, you prayed a prayer, you were baptized, something along that line as a child, maybe even as a, an adult. But it wasn't genuine. You're not secure. You're not saved. It was in vain. He didn't presume that was uh, any particular individual. He certainly didn't presume that upon the whole. But my guess is in a crowd this side, size, there are those who are members here. Uh, who are members somewhere and have, in fact, become a member of a church but have not genuinely believed. Scripture allows for that. Scripture gives that warning. Make sure that you have not believed in vain. And we continue on in verse 3. For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried. We talked about those two uh, aspects last Sunday. And that uh, he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And that he was seen of Cephas, that is, uh, of Peter, then of the twelve. After that, he was seen of above five hundred brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present time, but some are fallen asleep. After that, he was seen of James, then of all the apostles. And last of all, he was seen of me also, as one born out of due time. For I am the least of the apostles that am not fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God, but by the grace of God. And aren't you thankful that you can say, but by the grace of God. Amen. I am what I am and his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was in me. Therefore, Whether it were I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. Now, and that that was all introductory in chapter 15. Now, if Christ be preached that he rose from the dead, how say some among you that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there be no resurrection of the dead, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ be not risen, then is our preaching vain, and your faith is also vain or empty. Yea, and we are found false witnesses of God because we have testified of God that he, in fact, raised up Christ, whom he raised not up, if so be that the dead rise not. For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. And if Christ be not raised, your faith is vain, you are yet in your sins. Then also they who are fallen asleep, that is who have died in Christ, are perished. 
if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. But now is Christ risen from the dead and become the firstfruits of them that slept. For since by man came death, by man came also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. But every man in his own order, Christ the firstfruits, Afterward, they that are Christ at his coming. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is arguably the most important event in world history. And you think about that. It's hard to place it above or of more importance than the incarnation, that is, uh, the Christmas story, God became a, becoming a man, more important than the crucifixion, that is, the payment for sin. But If it were not for the resurrection of Christ, the rest of it would be futile. It would be vain. It would be empty. This text tells us that our faith would be in nothing, really. Nothing important. It would be of such little value. John MacArthur wrote, The resurrection is the pivot on which all of Christianity turns, and without which none of the other truths, none of the other doctrines, would much matter. Without the resurrection, Christianity would be so much wishful thinking, taking its place alongside all other human philosophy and religious speculation. In other words, uh, the, uh, uh, the message of Christ living a perfect life and dying, if he did not rise again, uh, then that philosophy is no better, no worse than any other philosophy. But folks, he did rise again. Therefore, that finishes the deal. He is Lord since he rose from the dead. Amen? He is Lord. He is to be followed, revered, worshipped, obeyed, served because he is Lord. Even intellectually honest philosophers and historians have agreed on this throughout time. 18th century British philosopher John Locke, certainly no uh, orthodox uh, Uh, one in theology wrote, our Savior's resurrection is truly of great importance in Christianity, so great that his being or not being Messiah stands or falls on that, on that very issue, whether or not he rose from the grave. Historian uh, Blakelock wrote, I claim to be an historian, and I tell you that the evidence for the life, the death, And the resurrection of Christ is better authenticated than most of the facts of ancient history. It's been said, we have more information, more data, more evidence for who Christ is and what he did than we do uh, that George Washington lived and was the first president. We have much more evidence for the one than the other and, and certainly all the other claims in antiquity. Theologian. F.F. Bruce wrote, if the New Testament were a collection of secular writings, their authenticity would, be, would generally be regarded as beyond all doubt. Now, what else in antiquity, that is throughout the ages, that anyone would say, this is absolutely certain, there is not a scintilla of doubt. And in fact, lots of people will ignorantly speculate about the validity of the New Testament, specifically the resurrection of Christ. Now, let's look then at some of the elements of the resurrection which uh, really cause all of us to either come away accepting and receiving and honoring and revering or rejecting. For Jesus said there's no middle ground. You are either with me or what? You are 
against me. Now let's say that together. You are either with me or you are against me. Jesus said that. There's no middle ground. He doesn't allow middle ground. He doesn't allow riding on the fence. Now, it doesn't mean that you're perfect. It doesn't mean that I'm perfect. But has my heart been committed to him? Uh, Is the bent of my life, is the direction of my life toward him or away from him? Is it for him or is it against him? Uh, He said there's only those two options. And so let's look at why the resurrection is compelling. By first of all, considering what it has accomplished. What the resurrection has accomplished. Accomplished. No, no single point of Christian theology has been more attacked than the doctrine of the resurrection because it being the most important and everything hinges on that it did take place, it has been under attack more than arguably any other doctrine. I presume maybe, maybe his deity has been assaulted more than even his resurrection. Josh McDowell, the apologist, wrote, Sir William Ramsey who spent 15 years attempting to undermine Luke's credentials. Now, why Luke? Because Luke, Dr. Luke, wrote the gospel, the lengthiest gospel, uh, primarily uh, to the Gentile world, and he wrote the book of Acts as a historical narrative. Uh, uh, Ramsey went after Luke's credentials as a historian. And to refute the reliability of the New Testament He finally concluded, quote, Luke is a historian of the first rank. This author should be placed along with the very greatest of historians. And so you had an atheist. You had uh, someone who was anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Bible, giving 15 years of his life to disprove what all of us have been, have believed, and millions have believed throughout the centuries, only to then conclude This is authentic. This is reliable. This is absolutely certain. Well, what does the resurrection specifically then accomplish? First of all, it fulfilled prophecy. The resurrection fulfilled biblical prophecy. There are two primary uh, aspects of of the work of Christ that are emphasized in Scripture. The crucifixion and the resurrection. And these two elements are supported by two elements. Namely, the crucifixion is supported by the burial, and the resurrection is supported by the appearances uh, of Christ. And notice in our text in 1 Corinthians 15, this wasn't Paul's idea. Notice it says at the end of verse 3, it was according to the scriptures. And at the end of verse 4, it was according to the scriptures. Paul was not dreaming this up. He was quoting Old Testament prophecy. He was referencing Old Testament prophecy. And one of them very well may be Psalm 16 and verse 10, which says, For thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol in the grave, neither wilt thou permit thy Holy One to see corruption. A prophecy, a messianic prophecy of Messiah who would come, who would be crucified, but he would not remain in the grave. He would, and it's intimating, he would be resurrected in Acts chapter 2. References Psalm 16 saying it is a fulfillment uh, in Christ of the resurrection. So it fulfilled prophecy in two primary ways, if I may. First of all, it fulfilled prophecy concerning a specific 
type. That is a picture. And that picture uh, was of Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah. Jonah uh, rebelled against God. He went, to, went out to sea. He was thrown overboard. Uh, he was swallowed by a great fish. And by the way, I've done research uh, on this, and I've alluded to this before. A blue whale can grow to the size from that wall to that wall in length and can be from the floor up to somewhere up in here uh, uh, in girth. And so it wouldn't be, there wouldn't be any problem for such an animal. People say, oh, that's just a, uh, that's just a, uh, a fish story. <laughs> uh, well, but it's a true one. And so there was no problem for the great fish to swallow Jonah. And Jonah was a picture of what would happen with Christ. Say, how do we know that? Well, Matthew chapter 12. Verses 38 through 41 tells us that. It says, then certain of the scribes and the Pharisees said, Master, give us a sign. Give us, show us something. And he answered and said to them, an evil, an adulterous generation looks for a sign, and there shall no sign be given except for the prophet Jonah. Okay, now here's the sign. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three nights and uh, three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Now, <clears throat> I'm going to get in trouble for this, but parenthetically, I don't know how one gets three days and three nights of actual entombment and it taking place on a Friday. I'm not sure why it ever came to be Good Friday because how many nights do you have between Friday and Sunday morning? You have how many? Let me go. Let's do, now, I, it might be the new math, okay? Let's see. Uh, you've got which night if it's Friday? It's Friday night, and how many, what's next? Saturday night, and then he rose when? Sunday morning, so there's no night included there. Hmm, must have happened on a Thursday. Um, that's parenthetically. I don't know uh, why uh, it's uh, uh, deemed the other way, but that's for another sermon. A, concert, a, a particular type, Jonah was that type, uh, that he would be uh, in the earth, if you will, in the belly of the earth. And concerning a specific time, that is, for how long, Mark eight thirty one says, he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders and by the chief priests, killed, and after three days rise again. And so we see Old Testament prophecy, Jesus speaking what would happen, the book of Acts alluding to fulfilled prophecy, the resurrection accomplished that. Um, you, you, you really are, are having a hard time uh, believing any of the credibility, believing the credibility of Scripture if you don't have the resurrection of Christ. So it fulfilled prophecy. Secondly, the resurrection completed redemption. It sealed the deal. Verses 12 through 17 says that the resurrection is both logical and rational because Jesus Christ, being God in the flesh, um, if he was still dead, then, then uh, that, that uh, certainly says something uh, about the power of God and what he is able to do, of course, he rose from the dead saying he is Lord and uh, that resurrection now is uh, accredited to my account. His payment is credited to my account. He is Lord. He has saved me because he has risen from the dead. The first and, uh, first and second sermons in the book of Acts in chapter 2 and in chapter 3, 
dealt with the subject of the resurrection of Christ as well. Look what it accomplished. In Romans 4.25, it says Christ was delivered for our offenses and raised again for our justification. Um, It's what we believe in the gospel in Romans 10.9. If thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shalt believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. And so it's the work of Christ, his death, his burial, and his resurrection which, believing in that, is what provides redemption. Now, again, 1 Corinthians 15 says, unless you have believed, unless you just casually believed, unless you just uh, were going through the motions, if you have genuinely believed, then there is redemption. What the resurrection uh, showed us. Secondly, what the resurrection will accomplish. What it did accomplish and what it still will accomplish. It's not just something in the past with little practical relevance. It is operational today. Now, the resurrection took place, we'll say, in 33 to 35 A.D. In 1977, so nearly two millennia later, 1900 and some years later, the resurrection changed me. That is the work of Christ. And you can put yourself, if you're a believer, somewhere in that same timeline that it made a difference. It accomplished something in the here and now. First of all, let me offer, the resurrection furnishes power. Verses 5 through 11. It's the power of the resurrection. Uh, Romans 1.4 says Christ is declared to be the Son of God with power. He's powerfully the Son of God, according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Interesting interesting verse here. The Spirit of holiness. Um, As you would imagine, some believe and have taught that that is speaking of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. That is, he's declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Holy Spirit. That is, the Holy Spirit inspired Scripture, uh, the writers of Scripture to write down what happened. And that very well could be. Uh, Others, uh, and I hold to this position uh, because of verse 3 of Romans 1, which talks about uh, Christ in his humanity. I'm holding to according to the Spirit of holiness. That is, according to his life of perfection and resurrection from the dead. So his perfect life is what allowed him to be a vicarious offering. That is a substitutionary sacrifice. It was because of his perfect life. If he didn't live a perfect life, he would not be able to pay for my sin. He'd be paying for his own sin. Do you all follow? So uh, it is along that, that spirit of holiness, him walking in perfection in his humanity dying for your sin, for my sin, and then rising from the dead. Just a, a subtle point in there, but uh, seems to, uh, it seems to, to, uh, to bear out in, uh, in what actually takes place. Now notice also, if you'll notice in 1 Corinthians 15, it says, uh, and in verse, um, and in verse uh, 8, And last of all, he was seen of me as one born out of due time. What is born out of due time? Paul was saying that as a result 
of encountering the risen Christ well after he had ascended. Uh, uh, my timing for seeing him was out of the ordinary. It wasn't part of the normal because everybody else, Peter and the apostles and the 500, they saw him after he rose, but before he ascended. Paul said that I saw him, the last one to see him, um, in a literal resurrected state. Now, folks, I don't mean to be mean-spirited, but it's important for us to understand this. Notice what verse 8 says. And read it out loud if you would, the beginning of the very first phrase. And last of all, okay, he, the Apostle Paul is running down the list of those who saw the resurrected Christ. Peter, the apostles, 500, more than 500 people at once, and then Paul himself saw the resurrected Christ. But where in the order is Paul in seeing Christ. Last, so much for modern day sightings of Jesus and him appearing to people in physical form. No, Paul was the last one who would see him before his second coming. Regarding verse 6, if you'll notice, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once. The greater part remain unto this present time. Thomas Constable observed, that Jesus appeared to so many people at one time is evidence that his resurrection body was not a spirit. That is, it was a physical body. Many people testified that they had seen him on this single occasion. Since the resurrection took place 23 years before Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, it is reasonable that the majority of this group of witnesses was still alive. Certainly, many of them were, of more than 500. Um, most of them who remain until now, uh, the text indicates. Therefore, any skeptic could check with them. Any skeptic could go and actually confer with these people who were reported to have seen the resurrection, resurrected Christ. Folks, the resurrection means God has power to do anything. He has power to forgive you of your sins. He has power to save you. He has power to secure you a home in heaven and to take you to be with him one day when you leave this earth. He has that kind of power to change your life even today. And then notice also what the resurrection will do. It promises a future. The resurrection promises a future. Verses 18 through 23 basically says if Christ did not live past the grave, then no, no one else can have hope of doing that either. But he did live past the grave for all the evidences which have been cited. In fact, Jesus said in John eleven twenty-five and 26, I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever lives and believes in me shall never die. The resurrection of Christ promises a future resurrection for all who believe. In Sunday school this morning, uh, we were singing, uh, during the opening, uh, we were singing uh, the chorus, um, um, uh, great, uh, uh, he has done, he has done great things, he has done great things. And uh, I, I think it was Chuck who asked, what great things has he done? <clears throat> and we 
people shouted out a, a, few, a few things. Uh, uh, he's forgiven us. Uh, he's he's uh, provided heaven. And he's given uh, the peace during difficulties. And I didn't say it, but I had it in my, my mind. And I don't know why this came to me. He provides dying grace for his own. And then I asked my class this morning, have you ever been at the bedside, literally, when someone breathed his or her final breath. That's happened to me a number of times. When the person literally went, and that was it. Uh, it's the most surreal experience uh, in, the human, in the human experience, it seems to me. And for the child of God, there is dying grace. Uh, there, uh, uh, I asked Arlie, uh, I asked Arlie Jackson uh, a week, maybe just a few days uh, before he died. And I said, you know this is going to take you. It sure looks like this, this brain cancer is going to take you. Uh, and he, he said, yeah, it does. It doesn't look like, uh, I, think, uh, I think it's pretty much settled. It's just a question of how long. And it doesn't seem like it was long. It turned out just to be a few days. And I said, how does that make you feel? What do you think when you, you understand that you actually are going to die very soon? There's everything that says that. How do you feel about that? I want to know. I want to be able to tell folks at your funeral, which I did. And he says, I am at peace. I am content. And I said, why? Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Childlike faith, but it was abiding faith. It was present not 50 years ago. It was present the moment, as it were, that death was going to take him. Death was looming all around. Oh, death, where is your sting? Death doesn't have a sting anymore. The grave doesn't have victory any longer. Not for the child of God. What does he provide? He provides dying grace. Because you know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. In fact, if you'll notice, in verses 20 and 23 in our text, Verses 20 and 23, it says that he's the first fruits of those who slept. What are the first fruits? Well, when there's a, if you're a farmer and the very first portion of the harvest is the first fruits, and in the Old Testament that would be taken to the temple and given as an offering, but first fruits always intimates that there will be latter fruits. There will be fruit that is harvested at a later time. Christ was the first fruits. We who believe are the latter fruit, we also will be harvested to be with him for all eternity. Folks, if the resurrection is not real, then we don't even need to gather. No one needs to gather on Easter. There wouldn't even be an Easter, but it is real. It is actual. It did happen. Therefore, that being the case, what difference has it made in your life? Really? I want you to really uh, just uh, rip yourself, your, 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 your body open and expose your soul and let your, your, uh, your, your soul speak to you and admit what difference has it actually made in your life. Has it made his resurrection, his crucifixion, his burial, his resurrection, the gospel, has it made any lasting difference not do you know a few hymns, not are you a church member, anything like that. 
nothing, nothing that anybody could, could do. But what in a spiritual nature, nature what in an eternal matter uh, has it made in your life? You see, if he rose from the dead, and he did, it means by definition that he is Lord. Only the Lord of glory can do something such as that. And him rising from the dead means, it demands, he is the boss. He is in command. He is the sovereign. He is the savior. He is the master whom I'm to follow. And I'm to obey. And I'm to revere. And I'm to seek. And I'm to hunger and thirst after him. As the deer pants after the water, so pants my soul after thee, O God. Is that you? Or not? Be honest. Be honest with yourself. Uh, There's no larger question in all of life than what have I done with the gospel? How has the gospel, the good news of who Christ is and what he's done, how has it actually affected me? Has it radically changed me from death unto life, from depravity unto freedom in him? Forgiveness, a home in heaven, dying grace. For I might go out of here today, you might go out of here today, and never face tomorrow in this earthly pilgrimage. Are you prepared to face eternity? You see, folks, if you're not prepared and ready to die, there's no freedom in living. Because you always have that haunting you in the back of your mind. Uh, oh, no, what if I t- die today? Uh, what? There's no dying grace because you're not ready. Yet, it could take you. It could snatch you away in a moment as it could me. By his grace and for his glory, I can say, I know him in whom I have believed. And I am convinced that he will keep me at that day. At that day, when I close my eyes in death, he will keep me secure. How do you know? Scripture tells me I'm kept I'm kept secure by the power of God, 1 Peter 1.5. And because of who Christ is and what he's done, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Romans 8.1. No condemnation, Romans 8.1. No separation, Romans 8.37-39, through 39, I believe it is. <clears throat> are you secure in him? The gospel. It's the good news. It's the good news if you've turned to him. And if you've received what he has done. If you haven't, we have folks, our deacons, who want to share with you. Who want to pray with you. Talk to you from the word of God about everlasting life. You avail yourself to that. Lord, I'm so thankful for the clarity of your word. Not my clarity or lack thereof. But what the text says. That the gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And that believing and receiving you, we can have everlasting life and abundant life in the here and now. I guess in the 46 years almost, I've been saved. Lord, I don't think I've had an idle or, 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 a, or a boring moment in, in that, serving you. But yet it's been filled with exhilarating times and your blessing and your presence, your comfort, your conviction over sin, your comfort when suffering. 
And I'm so thankful for that, how real you are. And then there's eternity, which you have prepared for all who follow you. And so, Lord, would you do a a work in the hearts of those who don't know you, even in this service, even those watching uh, by way of uh, internet, and grant repentance to turn from sin and faith to turn to you. Lord, only you can do this work. Jonah was right. Salvation is of the Lord. Only you can deliver from sin, from death. And so, Lord, would you do that in your mercy, even in...